Hello, it's Caroline. I'm just here to tell you that this episode that you're about to listen to was recorded during a time when I still used Patreon. I do not use Patreon anymore, but you can find helpful resources by going to thefuckadiet.com slash more. You can also read the beginning of the Fuck a Diet book for free from my site. Lastly, this podcast is extremely messy. And it was actually intentionally messy and unstructured because that was the only way I could inspire myself to start and continue this podcast. I needed the lowest stakes possible. And though this podcast remains very low budget and has remained messy throughout the years until now, if you want slightly more structured and streamlined episodes, listen to the more recent episodes. All right, enjoy. Hello! Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Fuck A Diet Podcast. I am your host, Caroline Dooner. I'm the author of The Fuck A Diet, and today I have... Oh, Molly, thanks for groaning right next to the microphone. Don't know if you heard that, but if you did, that's what it was. Oh, okay. Today, today, I am sharing a conversation with you that I had with Amanda White. She is a therapist who I, it's so funny how many conversations I have shared with people who live in Philadelphia, but we connected over the internet having nothing to do with Philadelphia and our conversation was remote, just like all my other conversations. So I'm not trying to prioritize people from Philadelphia, but maybe people from Philadelphia just have really great, <laughs> really great things to say. No, it's just like a really weird coincidence, but um, Amanda's practice is in... Philadelphia, but we met on Instagram and she's in a great, she is a great account to follow. Um, but she wanted to talk today about the overlap of alcohol culture and diet culture. And I really do think it's a fascinating, there's a fascinating connection between the two. Um, this is not meant to be any sort of judgment against people who drink alcohol. I am not sober. I am not a sober person. Um, I don't think it's necessary for everybody. And I also think that it can be really, really supportive for a lot of people who are struggling with their relationship with alcohol. There's no one size fits all approach to this. And I think that that will become clear in the conversation that I'm going to share with you in just a moment. Um, But it's interesting. It's really fascinating. I talk about my relationship with alcohol. She talks about her relationship with alcohol and how it had to do with um, our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with food and sort of how they affected each other. Um, And people ask me about this all of the time. People say, okay, so you don't think that we should have any restrictions when it comes to food. Is it the same thing with alcohol? And the answer is alcohol is not the same thing. So the answer is no. However, I do think it's, it is possible to have an intuitive relationship with alcohol. So all of these things are true at once, right? Um, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Today, I'm not going to be doing too many, well, I'm not going to really be doing anything else. So it's just going to be this intro and the conversation with Amanda White, and that's it. And the reason is because I am freaking swamped. I'm overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed, not in a bad way, just in a just in a way. Um, oh, the other thing that I do want to say is that we recorded this conversation a while ago, so it was almost two months ago at this point. 
I have a backup of conversations that I've already recorded that I'm going to be sharing with you guys over the next couple months. And yeah, so without further ado, this is my conversation with Amanda White. I hope you enjoy. I'm Amanda White, and I am a licensed mental health therapist, and um, I have an Instagram that's called Therapy for Women, and I also have a private practice, which is in Philadelphia, which is also called Therapy for Women, and we specialize in working with women, specifically women and the intersection of eating disorders, addiction, and trauma. So that is what we're going to be talking about today, and it's such an important such an important conversation. And those three things have so many overlaps. Yes. And it really stemmed from myself. Um, I struggled with all three of those things and I was very frustrated in the process of bouncing around to different therapists. And it's like, I would see one for, you know, my addiction issues. I would see another for trauma and I would, you know, then it was like, Oh, you have an, you know, an eating disorder. You got to see this one. So it, it came out of my own frustration that I was like, they're so connected. And I keep seeing therapists who are like, oh, not my specialty. Here you go. And I was like, this is really frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> so, so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I really related. Obviously, I loved your book. And um, my husband recently read it, which was a huge breakthrough and amazing. Oh, my God. Yay. Yeah. Um, which was awesome because I told him to read other books. And yours, I think, with the cursing just worked for him. <laughs> I'm just trying to be accessible. I'm just trying to meet people where they are. Yes. Yeah. But I related so much, I feel like, to in your book when you talked about being on diets and kind of the crazy. I was also a raw vegan for a while. Oh my God. How long did you do it for? Oh my God. I mean, I feel like I wasn't real because my problem is I would get drunk and then I would eat pizza. Right. Right. I would go back to being a raw vegan and my parents would be like, but you ate pizza last night? (sighs) That's so interesting because when I was raw vegan, I was too afraid of alcohol. So yeah. I, so that was like almost. Part- I mean, I could have been. I was on a very strange cleanse at the time, and this specifically reminded me of what you were talking about. I was on this strange cleanse where the person told me that like whiskey was the cleanest type of alcohol. Oh my god! I don't understand, but <laughs> literally, Caroline drank coconut water like from a real coconut in my dorm room. So right. I would, oh my God, I was doing it in my dorm room. Too. I would have to like smash it against a wall or do something ridiculous. <laughs> and I was doing that and drinking whiskey, like with it. Oh, like I remember God. being in the back of a car going to like a pregame, drinking like chunky coconut water <laughs> and whiskey. Oh my God. I relate so much to that because even though I personally, I was a freshman in college, I never really drank in high school, other, you know, other obsessive things and health fears. And, um, so I went right into college and I was a raw vegan. And so I didn't really drink. I think I would like let myself have wine because whatever raw cult I was following, wine was the raw alcohol. Organic wine. Yes. Organic wine. Well, I would stress over that. I'd be like, (laughs) this like random Italian restaurant in little Italy doesn't have organic wine, but I would like, you know, sip it. Um, but when I, you know, when I was still really dieting and had like a very, very diet mentality and was always like trying to like drink whatever I, believed at the time was like the healthiest in quotes, healthiest alcohol. (laughs) That was the exact same thing. Like, and, and then I would, I would definitely like, it felt safe. It was like, this is a safe 
food slash drink that also is helping my anxiety, you know, temporarily. Right. right. So yeah, I would do the exact same thing. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how inter intertwined, you know, food and alcohol and really, you know, what we had kind of said we were going to talk about is just like, especially the overlap of diet culture and um, alcohol culture, especially with women is just crazy. Are you now sober? I am. I've been sober for over five years. Um, and for me, what really happened was, I mean, I knew my eating disorder was kind of the primary thing. It was very mm -hmm. clear to me that I had an eating disorder. My family knew I had an eating disorder. Um, but every time I would get some recovery in my eating disorder, I would then, um, and the, I would relapse when I drank. So oh, wow. it just kept getting derailed over and over again. And it got to the point where I was really clear with myself that I was like, I'm not going to be able to stay in recovery if I keep drinking because I lose all, you know, ability to kind of like stay in touch with my values and do what I want, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, that was really what made it stick for me. And I, you know, I was in IA and I also thankfully was able to departure from Overeaters Anonymous because as a lot of us have experienced, it was very triggering in terms of, you know, thinking that food was, yes. food. And yeah, I I'm excited to talk about from your perspective, like the inherent differences, like the reason that AA can be so helpful for people, but why we understand that Overeaters Anonymous does not help the same way because food is not the same thing as alcohol. So I'm, I'm exactly. really excited to talk about that. Exactly. And that's really, I mean, for me, the clear thing. So I actually was part of another, um, anonymous group that was called anorexics and bulimics anonymous, um, which really framed it in the way that I understand it now, which was like, food wasn't the problem. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't addicted to food. Even if you do, like you've talked about Caroline, even if I was overeating or specifically I struggled a lot with bulimia. So I would binge and purge and stuff like that. So it mm -hmm. felt sometimes like I was addicted, the restriction, the trying to change my body, mm -hmm. the trying to be a different size or look a different way was what I was addicted to. Right. That was the addictive behavior. That yes. was my quote unquote drug. Right. This like yes. obsession of being in control of your body and how you look and all of that, right? It's like an obsession similar sometimes to like alcohol in terms of being obsessed with trying to control your emotions or numb out. Yes, it's a it's a that's the way we numb and distract exactly. and because one one of the big uh side effects is a fixation on food, we assume that the addiction is food as opposed to the dieting and that obsession. So it really, it, it, it makes sense why we're confused and we think right. it's food, but it really is stemming from something deeper there. Yes, exactly. And that's to me, like whenever, you know, I mean, there's a lot of great research, thankfully that people are debunking, you know, and sharing about why food addiction isn't real and sugar addiction isn't real. Um, but right. Like alcohol, we can live without alcohol right. is an addictive substance. Like even yes. if we look at from an evolutionary perspective, um, the only reason we're able to ingest alcohol, which is quote unquote, like a poison, if you think about it, right. um, is there was a mutation that I'm really into evolution. So <laughs> if there was a mutation actually that, um, happened 
you know, from our ancestors in the ability to eat rotting fruit, essentially. What? I didn't yeah. know this. I love yeah. this. Oh my God. Don't, I thought you might because of your whole let's go on a famine. Like, I love it. I, it helps me understand. It helps me understand on a very basic level when I can think about it this same, way. Same. So yeah. So there was some gene mutation that they think happened from, you know, our ancestors that allowed us to survive because at the end of a harvest or something like that, if the fruit was rotten, those that could eat the fruit that was rotten were able to survive and did better. Um, That makes sense. Yeah. And then it, you know, continued because um, if you think about even, right, like how beer was first made and alcohol was first made because it was a way to have cleaner water. Yeah. Yeah. It, It was like beer used to be called liquid bread because it was made with grain and it was, you know, everyone drank it, kids drank it because it wasn't very high in alcohol and it was a way to get calories and nutrition. And Isn't still so bizarre. I love, I love, first of all, I love this so much because I genuinely feel like I'm learning something and my mind is like opening as we speak. But I also think about this all, well, not all the time, but I think about it often enough that it kind of blows my mind that people were just drinking alcohol, like instead of water all of the time, yeah. because it was cleaner. Like, what did that do to people's bodies? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, I don't, I can't even, I mean, I know that you get used, I understand that you get used to it, but I, like, it hurts just to like, imagine that I would only be able to drink beer instead of water. Like that literally hurts my body. <laughs> yeah. And especially it was like beer that was like sludgy back then. You know, it was like. Oh my God. Yeah. They, there was no like filtration process. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so from that perspective, right? Like, yes, people we've been drinking, you know, people, sometimes the critique is, well, we've been drinking alcohol for millions of years and stuff. And we have, but it was like, you know, the second you're the second, which a lot of people don't know too, is the second you drink even one glass of alcohol, your body tries to get rid of it as quickly as possible. Yeah. It's not like cool with it. (laughs) You're like, yeah stops digesting food and stops doing everything to try to get rid of it as quickly as possible. Right. Right. You know, what's interesting. I, I've definitely had, you know, I am not sober though. I don't drink very often anymore just because my body hates it. Like really, truly like, and I feel lucky for that actually, because I feel like that's allowed me to have distance from it now that I am so much more intuitive and like way better at taking care of myself and care so much about sleep. Like it became so clear that this like makes my life worse, like worse. Usually I think, you know, if I can live a life where I occasionally have one glass of wine, that's, I'm cool with that. But any more than that, I'm in, I like do not sleep. I feel horrible. Um, and I do feel, I feel, I really do feel lucky for that. Cause I, it feels like such a natural, um, buffer. Like, I don't know what, I think I would have had way bigger problems with alcohol if my body had allowed me to abuse it more, honestly. What's helpful about the conversation from this perspective too, is like you said, Carol, like, it's not even a, like my whole thing, right. Is I'm really against shame. And I really think people need to have education and understand things to be able to make decisions. But it's like, it's like diet culture, like alcohol culture is not talked about. Mm. We don't talk about the fact that 
having one glass of alcohol disrupts your system. The fact mm-hmm. that like you were talking about with sleep, I mean, it is literally impossible to fall into REM sleep if you've had alcohol, like right. your body doesn't go into the deeper levels of sleep that we know are really restorative. Right. And it's so intermixed with, you know, like now there's like green juice cocktails and stuff like that. And it's just considered normal the way diet culture is normal. Yeah. That is so fascinating. And I feel like, do you follow, um, Laura McCowan on? Yes. Yes. I just started following her. Um, and the, the whole perspective there, and I haven't read her book yet, but I believe that this is a big part of the book too, based on what I've seen that we just don't even question. We don't even question the alcohol consumption and then how normalized it is. Like I was walking around, um, yesterday I was walking my dog right when it was sort of announced that everything was going to be shutting down today. And I bumped into a neighbor that I don't even really know, but they have a dog too. And he was like, Oh, the liquor stores are shutting down. Like, and I saw people just walking around with like so much alcohol. And I, I didn't, you know, I, I was like, well, I feel like lucky that I just don't even really care about that because I, it, it hurt. Like it really does hurt me. I was like, it'll be better just to have, there's no alcohol in my life for, for a while. But, um, yeah. Can, can we talk about like sort of some of the manifestations of a culture that doesn't question our, our alcohol consumption? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think firstly, right. There is, and again, it's like, so it's like diet culture, right. It is like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Um, but in terms of just how normalized it is to drink, how normalized and how much it's like there's something wrong with you if you're not drinking. Right. Um, there's so much questioning of why you aren't drinking, what, what's wrong with you. And I think the biggest thing too that's, that really to me shows, and this again ties in with eating disorders, that shows how much of an issue it is in our culture is it's the only thing that if you, it's the only drug, right? And I think, um, Annie Grace, who wrote This Naked Mind, um, which is a book about alcohol, she talks about how it's the only drug that we have that if you don't take it, you're considered to have a disease, which is like mind-blowing. That is fascinating. That's really fascinating, honestly. Yeah. And you even look about the comparison, right, of like smoking. Like people don't, if they stop smoking, it's all like, you know, I mean, obviously it was different years ago, but there aren't really like, um, there's no pushback anymore about not smoking. Yeah, there's no taboo. The taboo yeah. now is smoking at this point. Exactly. Exactly. So there's so much, I mean, yeah, there's so much often whenever, and I talk about this on Instagram, often when someone says they're not drinking and maybe Caroline, you can share about this too, being someone who doesn't drink that often is the question is why, why aren't mm-hmm. you drinking? Mm-hmm. Like there's always a, like you are out of the norm. There's something different about you, you need a reason. You can't just choose to not have alcohol today. And it's crazy to me thinking like, and of course this is diet culture, right? But like the amount of ridiculousness that I told people that I wasn't eating this, I wasn't eating that, I wasn't eating gluten, I w- and no one cared. And people accept it. They're like, yeah, I get it, I get it. Yeah, definitely. But it's- you're not having alcohol and it's, there's something weird. There's something I think it's weird. threatening to people, really. Yeah. 
I mean, and I've, I think I've seen that from both perspectives. I, I remember, I know that I have felt that way. I've been like, why aren't you drinking? Why am I the only one who wants to have three glasses of wine? Like I have felt that way. So I, I understand that kind of like, oh no, like, please join me, please join me. Yeah. Um, and I also know the other side because when I, so when I went on my two years of rest, which was 2016 to 2018, I really, real, that's when I like super, super, super cut back on drinking. I would have one drink every few months, if that. And every time I was like, oh, this is not worth it. This is horrible. Just physically. Um, and I was like resting from a lot of things. And I really like I I had some serious health stuff. Like I had, I think I had chronic Epstein Barr, like which inflames your liver. Like I really did feel like I really couldn't handle it. Um, but I felt super awkward. I felt really awkward not not having a drink. And I went to one of my best friend's weddings, which was this whole, like whole almost week long experience living with all these people that I didn't really know, you know, from like her husband's side and everything. Um, and I, and they're really, really big drinkers, bigger drinkers than I've ever, ever been. And that's just sort of her family. And I just pretended that I was drinking, but I was not, I just, it was easier for me to just pretend. Yeah. And, and sleep, <laughs> sleep really well <laughs> to get, I was like, if I drink and I was, again, I, I've never been like super, like, I can't, you know, let a drink pass my lips. But I was like, if I want to have resilience on this week long trip with all of these people and this like nonstop activity, I can't not sleep. Right. I, I can't. So it's because it was like a self, just sort of like a self care thing for a really long time and still is, but I, and I love that. And like, to me, what the future looks like would be that would be people being able to be curious about it, notice it in the same way, kind of the process of intuitive eating of right. like, does this serve me? Like, to me, the question is not whether someone's an alcoholic or not. I don't think it's a relevant question. I don't think it matters. Mm. If it works for you to think of yourself that way, I'm not saying don't for anyone. Sure. Who, right, right, right. I called myself an alcoholic. I still, depending on the situation, um, use that language. But to me, it's just like, is alcohol getting in the way of living your best life? Right. You know, is it help? Is it preventing you from accomplishing your goals? Which I think is very similar to intuitive eating, right. Of like, and the bucket diet of, is this, is dieting like robbing you of your life? Right. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a black and white thing. It can be a, can I just examine my relationship with this and just be open to, you know, what it might reveal. And I also do. And I think it's less daunting that way too. I think, um, for some people, at least, you know, depending on where they are, I think just hearing, you know, I can just re-examine my relationship with this without, without maybe completely cutting it out and just see, you know, see what cutting back looks like or see what cutting back feels like, or just notice, you know, when am I, and this is something that I try to frame in this way in my book, but when am I using alcohol or dieting, but in, in this instance, alcohol to numb? When am I using it to check out of my life, to distract? Um, and I think the answer for a lot of people is often, like very often. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And I think, I think that's exactly my belief too, is like, when we just say, when the first step of looking at your relationship with alcohol is you have to declare yourself an alcoholic, you have to have a disease and you have to like now never drink again. That's like, that's keeping like, to me, there's like a huge area of like, right. Like drinking that people don't quite fit having quote unquote alcohol use disorder. Like to me, I really want to create the term like disordered drinking. Like, right. Like there's disordered eating where you don't have an eating disorder yet, but drinking where like, maybe you don't meet the criteria yet, but like you, you could be on the path. Well, and it also actually is keeping people from, from exploring without like having it be a black and white thing. Like let's allow people to explore maybe slightly, even just shifting their relationship to alcohol without having them have to call themselves an alcoholic or swear it off forever, you know? Because I think that because that's so daunting to people and makes people feel like such a pariah, people aren't even willing to go there when maybe something a little bit more in a gray area would be more sort of accessible. Yeah. And even then it like takes the pressure off of, you know, I remember the first time I told my parents I wasn't drinking. They were like, but, but, but you're what, you're not an alcoholic. You know, they, it like, that is a big thing that comes up for people too, as parents, friends, people often kind of come in to either like defend your drinking or it becomes about them in some way where there needs to be freedom to just look at like any choice, like going to sleep earlier, like going, I know, I know. I don't know. Um, like, you know, taking a rest from working out or trying something new or I don't know, whatever type of self-care you can do. I think that needs to be acceptable with alcohol also. And it doesn't have to be the second I even let myself explore my relationship with alcohol. I have a problem. Yeah. I, I think that this is, this is so fascinating. And I really wonder what I would have thought listening to this. Oh, sorry. My dog is like watching the kids who are quarantined play right outside my window. Um, so if she starts barking, everyone, sorry. Oh, Molly, what the hell? Um, I wonder, I really, really wonder what I would have thought about this before I'd come to it on my own. Like, I think I would have felt threatened by by listening to this, honestly. I think I would have been like, no, 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 I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that life. Plus, I was also really obsessed with being a French woman. (laughs) (laughs) And so wine was like part of my like lifestyle identity. (laughs) It was almost like a, and it was definitely a diet thing too, because I was able to take sort of the obsession off of, or, or the fixation off of eating and be like, I'll just have a glass of wine. Like it was definitely a way that I didn't realize I was dieting or, you know, trying to eat less, but it was definitely a part of that. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good, I mean, I'm glad you like brought that up because I think probably before I had stopped drinking too, there would have, I would have felt frustrated or threatened or whatever word that came up with that. But to me, it's like when we have that immediate defensiveness or fear, like that's a signal that there's something going on that we might want to get curious about. And if we can take the shame out of it, like there's nothing wrong with you, right? Like 
this is diet culture. This is alcohol culture. This is the world we live in. This is the water we swim in. Mm -hmm. But let's just get curious about this. You don't have to make any decisions. That's kind of my, that would be my invitation. Yes. I think that's a great invitation. And I, you know, if you're listening to this and you feel stressed about it or are curious about it, um, good news, I think, is that you can do anything you want and you could also potentially end up doing either what I'm doing or what Amanda's doing. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I really, I pulled back. I pulled back so far from drinking culture and I have just ever so slightly dipped my toe back in, but in this way where I really do feel a huge, I've had a huge shift in my relationship with alcohol and the way that I, like, I, I don't, it's not a go-to anymore. It's like, it's, it's a, it's like a sprinkle on the top of the cake that is my life. And sometimes you can have a cake that doesn't have any sprinkles, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I think, too, you know, I think for, you know, my guess is people that are listening to this, you know, either have read your book or are interested in your book. And what I would say, I mean, do one thing at a time, like if intuitive eating and the fuck a diet and trying to figure out your relationship and heal your relationship with food is going on. Like I always recommend doing that first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I kind of recommend starting with what's most negatively impacting your life first. Yes. Don't try to do everything at one time. And I think yes. that's you know, we don't need to overwhelm ourselves. So start with that. And then as you kind of build up this more, like you build up a stronger connection with your intuition and that interception awareness and your ability to be in touch with yourself, that might be the the next invitation down the road to start to look at your relationship with alcohol and how it could, you know, how you might be using it to check out and numb your emotions. Yes. Yes. Can you um, talk a little bit about how, just in case people are experiencing something similar, how did it show up for you that alcohol would sort of put you back into your eating disorder or disordered relationship with food? How how was that showing up for you? Yes. So for me, I would, I would have, you know, I would get into recovery or be getting on a food plan and, or a meal plan plan with my nutritionist and I was working, you know, like eating regular meals and stuff like that. And I would then, if something happened in my life, either it either happened where, um, I would get drunk by myself at night and I would like drink a bottle of wine by myself and I would get sad. And then the next day I would wake up hungover and I wouldn't want to stick to you know, like food, I would want to restrict myself or sometimes what would happen too, I would get into restriction because I would think about how many calories was in, um, alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a big one, especially for women is we start to think about how many calories we're drinking. And then we're like, Oh my God, I got to cut back and dinner because I'm drinking this amount of calories when I'm going out. And then you're like swapping and then you feel like, or I would wake up sometimes and feel really bloated and be like, screw this. Like I'm going to, you know, change how I look. I don't like how I look when I'm going out. Um, Or for me straight up also, like if I was super, super hungover, like I would end up binging and Mm -hmm. purging. Mm -hmm. 
because I wanted to like escape. I wanted to feel better. Often I would get drunk and be mad that I got drunk and then I would make myself sick. Right. So especially like if anyone struggles with, you know, like bulimia or anything like that, that was really intertwined for me because you feel sick when you drink. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it was just basically knocking you off any sort of balance and center you were trying to find. Exactly. Exactly. I just felt very, you know, when you're, I mean, there's, um, there's a saying in like the, you know, addiction community and substance use community where it's like, it's why people who do, you know, heroin or other drugs or something like that are recommended not to drink because alcohol shuts down your prefrontal cortex, which is Mm. the rational decision-making part of your brain. Right. So most of us, when we have a drink or two, we're going to want to go to our old habits right that aren't based on what our values are but just kind of based on what we've done so whether that's dieting for you whether that's doing a different drug whether that's you know calling your ex <laughs> I was just gonna say I was just gonna say lo- your love addiction <laughs> yeah yeah it's like it just turns off the the wise part of your brain so to speak yeah yeah, that makes so much sense. And I'm sure there are people who are listening who will be like, "Ah, oh, yeah, I sort of do that. Whereas <laughs> when I look back and, you know, I think it's really important to hear from you and other people who have experienced that because I, I know I know that that's a thing that a lot of people are, are doing to themselves or are finding themselves stuck in. The weird thing I've, so I'm trying to think back to like, when I, and people ask me about this a lot too. They're like, how does alcohol fit into the fuck a diet? Like, are you telling me that I can just drink whatever I want on the fuck a diet and like that it'll just even itself out? And my answer is always no, they are two different things. <laughs> they are two different things. However, there is a world where if you are really focusing on how your body feels and really taking care of yourself and doing the emotional work, that it may for some people end up improving your relationship with alcohol, but the, the alcohol piece and the food piece are two totally different beasts here. Um, so just keep that in mind if you're listening. Yeah. And I think to remember too, with what you were saying, Caroline, right. Is like, like alcohol is an addictive substance. Like mm-hmm. food is not sugar is not giving mm-hmm. yourself freedom to eat what you want is going to over time create the, it's going to like lessen the interest in food right. where what we know because of alcohol, because anything that is, you know, addictive that we're mm-hmm. not meant to ingest, right. it has the opposite. It has the opposite impact. Yeah. And I think that, and I mean, that's something that is not widely known. That is, yeah. you know, people think that they can treat sugar or food the way that they treat alcohol. And that is a huge, huge issue when people are trying to heal their relationship with food, you cannot treat food or sugar like a drug. Right. Um, but and you also weird. can't treat a drug like yeah. food. <laughs> I think of right what the addiction is, the addiction for all of us, and I think this is something almost anyone can relate to, is the addiction, it didn't start with like eating table sugar. Right. Like it started with looking at magazines for most of us, looking at other people, looking at our body. Mm-hmm. wanting to look different, wanting yeah. to feel in control, wanting yeah. to, um, you know, lose weight, wanting to escape whatever it is. It wasn't, mm-hmm. 
it was, it was about wanting to change. It's wanting the dieting to me, the wanting to change how you look, the wanting to numb is what's addictive. Yes. Yes. Um, I love, I love this conversation. I think it's, I think it's going to freak people out. I really do, (laughs) but I think it's good. Um, and then I think what's interesting, just looking back at my, like when I went on the fuck it diet, when I was doing my own, you know, version of refeeding and it was like, you know, exposure therapy with food essentially. Um, I, I didn't change my drinking habits and my drinking habits were like late, but often I was living in New York. I was like doing comedy (laughs) and we were always in bars, but I always was somebody who could not handle, like my body has just physically never been able to handle as much alcohol as other people, which I always, I really do think is, has been a blessing all along for me. Um, Otherwise I definitely think that I would have abused it way more, but I, you know, I just sort of like went along with my normal, you know, with the drinking habits that I'd had before. Um, and I was, I think that in some ways for a good period of time, it was, it allowed me to feel very like normal and social and like allowed me to be in these like restaurant experiences where I was able to just like calm down. Um, but then it, again, then it came, when I realized that I was exhausted <laughs> a couple of years later, I was like, Oh, okay. This is something that I really want to take a step back from. Cause I am, I'm exhausted. Like, and mine was all from the perspective of like, my body feels super run down. I'm not sleeping well. And I, I, I want to like reprioritize things. And so it was like, it was four years into my own fuck it diet where I was like, okay, I'm going to like take a big step back from drinking and prioritize rest and just like see what happens and like see how I feel. And, and so you're allowed to, to do it in whatever order works for you. And you're allowed to figure it out as you go. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is something again, yeah. Like if you're new to the fuck a diet, if you're new to trying to look at your relationship with food, this might not be the place to start. It's something you could do later on down the road. It's something you could even, like you said, Caroline, if you're really struggling with sleep, which I think a lot of us are, it's something you could look at just like changing some of your habits with sleep maybe to start. Um, But I think it's just, it's just, you know, it's just curiosity around it versus something you have to do. Right. And I think another good place to start, which is something that you talked about is just like beginning to notice, like start to notice alcohol culture and how, how normalized it is and how it, it, like, it really is hard to step away from it. It's so ingrained. It's such a part of, of the way our culture operates. So normalized. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's a great first step. Even if you don't take any action, just, just noticing it is going to help you be more in touch with your values and what, and what you want rather than just doing what everybody else is doing. Right. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's the perfect time. She's barking at the kids. Okay. Just wait, just wait. We have to wrap this up. Amanda has to tell everybody where to find her. Amanda, tell everyone where to find you guys. You have to follow her. She has an amazing, amazing account. I love, I love everything you post. 
Oh, thanks, Caroline. Um, so yeah, so my Instagram is therapy for women. Um, you can also find me on my website. I have a private practice called therapy for women center.com. Um, yeah, so we do, we do therapy. We also, although we had to cancel ours because of coronavirus this year, we also do oh yoga retreats and events. Um, so yeah, come find me. I'd love to connect with you all. Yay. And I will link that in the show notes and Amanda, thank you so, so much. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, you can go into the show notes. You can click the link to find her and follow her. I really genuinely love following Amanda. Um, her posts are very uh, actionable. Like she, I feel like she, the content that she gives really it is really, really helpful. I just really love it. So please check her out. And then beyond that, do I want to talk about why I'm overwhelmed? Uh, uh, can I even can can I even work through my overwhelm to figure out why I feel overwhelmed? Well, this entire week I've had people in my house. Yes, it's quarantine. It is peak quarantine, and I've had people in my house fixing all of my broken appliances. So that's one thing. So I'm behind. I would say I'm behind on like what I need to be doing uh my fuck a diet book club is starting this monday um so i need to do just like a little bit of a little bit of just gearing up for that uh, i'm very excited enrollment enrollment is closed but uh i'm super excited for that but it's gonna take you know it's gonna take time and energy uh mother's day is sunday i i don't i don't I just I just signed the contract for my second book. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed with that. I just I don't know, man. I just feel overwhelmed, okay? And it's already it's already almost 2 p.m. on a Friday and it's like where where did this week go? Where? Where did it go? And this morning someone was fixing my washing machine, so I don't know. It's uh, nothing that bad is happening to me. I just feel behind on work. And that is why this is all you're getting at the end of this episode. But I am still going strong on my Marvel quest. Uh, and my friend and I have now watched everything up through Thor Ragnarok. And as I just said on my Instagram today, I'm going to throw some Guardians of the Galaxy shade. Thor Ragnarok is what Guardians of the Galaxy thought it was. Humor wise. And everything and tone wise but and it's really hard to pinpoint it's really hard to pinpoint the subtle differences that make Thor Ragnarok significantly better and smarter and just funnier oh sorry guys there is something so frustrating to me about an entire group of idiots and people you can't trust being the stars of a movie and that's how I feel about Guardians of the Galaxy all right, I'm going to go. I'm totally maybe overreacting and not as swamped as I think I am, but I, I okay, so I will be back in two weeks. I'm going to start doing every two weeks. Unless there's some reason why I feel like putting out a bonus episode and then you'll get an episode every week. But for the most part, we're doing every two weeks. It's going to be conversations with people and so I will talk to you in two weeks. Thank you for listening. I hope it was helpful. I hope you're doing all right during quarantine. This is nuts. This is all just so nuts. And I'll talk to you soon.
Bye. Oh, also, I loved Spider-Man. Bye.